This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. To all my listeners, I finally broke through. Welcome to the program. The week that was, unless you were living under a rock, you probably heard about the riots that occurred in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this past week. An ugly chapter, but you know, especially those that have listened to this program for quite some time, you've heard me talk about how these things happen, why they happen. Right now, what we're dealing with is a situation where the police use of force has been hijacked and used by this anarchist movement. No different than the Students for a Democratic Society back in the 1960s used in the war on police and the social upheaval that they caused throughout the United States, Newark, Detroit, L.A., the Watts section, Milwaukee. They all had their riots of the 1960s. The Vietnam War was at the heart of it, but they hijacked these ghetto areas to promote their chaos and furtherance of this war policy coming out of Washington, D.C. at the time. So the parallels are there, but anyway, coming, you know, fast forwarding into 2016 here, and actually started in 2014 after Ferguson, Missouri, that ugly incident where criminal Mike Brown, who committed several felonies, attacked Darren Wilson, a Ferguson police officer, tried to disarm him. Darren Wilson had to use force, deadly force, to save his own life. And it was at that point that this political construct began and continues to this day. And I said at the time, you've heard me on this program, I said that this was a political construct back in December of 2014, might have been early 2015. I saw this thing coming identified it for what it was. I tried to get traction against the liberal mainstream media, who was nothing more than the propaganda wing for liberal and progressive ideologies. And I've been ever since just, you know, messaging, 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 creating a narrative. I created a narrative And the way this thing works is the narrative has to get traction. So I had the use of many platforms. You've seen me on Fox and CNN and all these other places, radio, a lot of radio, all across the country, by the way, to unmask this ugly 
leftist ideology. And then, lo and behold, police use of force in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a week ago, where a Milwaukee police officer created the reasonable suspicion, or established, I should say, be careful with you know, words matter, established reasonable suspicion to pull a vehicle over, suspicious vehicle. Two individuals got out, armed, fled, officers pursued, and there came a point in time when the one of the perpetrators, he was kind of trapped, he turns around, he faces a law enforcement officer with a gun in his hand, and the officer used force to defend himself. He shot and killed the perpetrator. The gun was stolen. The suspect had a criminal history, a lengthy criminal history. 13 arrests. Wasn't that old? I think 23, 24. The thing is still under investigation. Everything has not been revealed, but uh, some information was put out by the Milwaukee Police Department. And I did talk to the mayor of Milwaukee, lefty, big-time liberal progressive Tom Barrett. And he said he saw the video, and he said it was clear that the guy was armed as he faced the officer. Originally, you know, we had the same, because, you know, this thing happens over and over and over again the same way. And that's why I took the time to go back after Ferguson. I said, let me start reading up on this, this war on cops concept, this anarchist movement. And so I went back and I did that. I did some research to find out how, what are their tactics, how do they operate. They move into areas with resources. They hijack a few uh, situations, and then they mobilize. They mobilize the existing community. And who do they mobilize? The ne'er-do-wells, the ones who can't critically think, the ones who will not peel the, the layers back to find out what's really going on. They're susceptible to propaganda, to nonsense, and they stoke up this rage, anger, and resentment in this susceptible population, and it's usually in the ghettos. And then they find a hate target, and they make the police the hate target. It's the most visible symbol of authority, the man, government that there is in people's daily lives, right? The police are in the communities every day. You see squad cars, cruisers. You see uh, officers on bicycles. You see officers on foot, beat patrols. And then they unleash that after some incident. It's usually a police shooting. They unleash that anger and resentment, the anarchists, onto the police. The police become the hate target. So once I learned how this thing operated and what they did back in the 60s, you know, I created this narrative and says, hey, wake up, folks. This isn't as it appears to be. And you've heard me go after Black Lives Matter. I said, this is not about black lives. I said, this isn't about the police use of force. This is a political construct designed to go into 2016 with some energy to get out the vote, get out the black vote, voter registration drives. That's what this thing was. And, of course, the liberal mainstream media just wanted to focus on the police, right? The liberal mainstream media, they don't love the police either. They don't even like the police. So that was easy for them. And they tried to obscure my message, drown out my message. Fortunately for me, I had a number of platforms. Like I said, I don't worry about 
what I don't have to complete this mission. And you all know I'm on a mission now to defend the American police officer and to defend the rule of law, which is under attack by these anarchists. Donald Rumsfeld taught me, you go to war with the horses you have, not with the horses you don't have. I knew, and you know, the liberal mainstream media is not on our side. When I say our side, the right. Conservatives, you know that. Yeah, we sit around and whine about it, and it sucks. Yes, it does. I'm with you on all that stuff. But are we going to sit around and lament and and lick our wounds? Or are we going to figure out a way around it? We have to fight a guerrilla type uh, we have to use guerrilla type tactics. We have to fight a guerrilla warfare against an enemy that's bigger and stronger than we are as individuals. And it's the mainstream media, liberal mainstream media. So I had some resources and decided, hey, I'm going to use these. But anyway, the message finally came through. I held a news conference. I held a news conference that Sunday after the first night of rioting. And I'm going to play that whole thing for you. Well, most of it anyway. The good segment, the best part of it. And finally, after I said for the umpteenth time what causes riots and what's going on in these urban centers, these ghettos created by failed leftist policy, failed progressive policy, the media picked up on that. And that kind of was the narrative for the days and, and, and nights following those riots. And we're going to play that entire news conference when we come back. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Sheriff. So I'm going to play a portion of the news conference I held Sunday morning, the worst night of rioting was Sunday, uh, Saturday night. Fire bombings, cars torched, buildings looted, rocks and bricks hurled at police. It was a Donnybrook, folks. It really was. But I'm going to play the news conference, and this is when I opened the program, I said, finally, my message, my narrative is broken through on the, the destructive nature of progressive urban policy, failed urban policy that has destroyed cities and created, created ghettos. Uh, take a listen. Okay, good late afternoon. Thank you for being here. I just wanted to give uh, you folks a briefing on, in terms of what our activities were last night as this situation unfolded in the area of 43rd and Hour. Uh, Sherman Boulevard is 43rd Street and a little bit of a briefing moving forward into tonight I'll give you I'm going to start with a timeline well actually what I'll do is I'll start by saying this because there's a there's a, a lot mis, a lot of misunderstanding I think in terms of 
uh, what causes these situations. The police use of force uh, serves as, as an igniter, there's no doubt, but, but to an already volatile um, situation, a volatile mix of urban pathologies, failed urban policy that exacerbates inescapable poverty, failing public schools, inadequate parenting, father absent homes. We all know when fathers are not around to shape the behavior of young boys, they oftentimes grow up to be unmanageable misfits that the police have to deal with in an aggressive fashion. Uh, pathologies like lifestyle choices, questionable lifestyle choices, gang involvement, drug and alcohol abuse, as well as uh, massive unemployment. Those are the ingredients. Those are the things that cause resentment, anger, and frustration to boil beneath the surface, and then all of a sudden a police situation comes along, and that's why I said it's an igniter, but it's an igniter to an already uh, uh, festering situation. So, you know, this whole last couple of years coming out of Ferguson, there's been a lot of focus on police and police use of force, and that's fine by me. All right, we, we, we get our consent from, our authority from the consent of the government. Something's bothering them, we should have discussions about it. But this thing has been hijacked uh, for a political and it's a political construct now. I mentioned that two years ago, if you want to go back and look at some of the tapes. I said this was a political construct, this whole war on police. And that, in fact, was a war on police that mirrored what had gone on in the 1960s. Uh, same thing, same model, same subversive uh, groups involved, with different names now, different generation, of course, as all those folks from the Students for a Democratic Society got old and they're probably uh, senior citizens now and a little tired for this, or tired of it. So I was acutely aware of what was going on and, and uh, exposed it as such. So we get into uh, what happened last night. You all received a briefing from the Milwaukee Police Department this afternoon. Uh, squads stopped, made a traffic stop. <clears throat> Occupants got out of the car and uh, confronted the police. At least one was armed. They may both have been armed, but I'm, I'm aware that one was armed. And uh, an officer used force, fearing that his life was in danger, and that'll it's an ongoing investigation, and that'll sort itself out uh, as time moves forward. And then late last night, uh, some of the residual effect of the thing that I opened up talking about, the anger, the resentment, the uh, frustration in people, uh, boiled over. And we had uh, an untenable situation in Milwaukee. I've made it clear as it related to the riots of Ferguson and of Baltimore, that people have to find a more socially acceptable way to deal with their frustration, their anger, and their resentment. Right? This is an orderly society. We have processes. We have institutions with which to deal with these things. And as frustrating as it can be, sometimes it takes a long time to, to work through the institutions and the processes that we have. It's still what we have to do because we cannot have the social uh, upheaval, the chaos that we saw last night that uh, frightens good law-abiding people in those neighborhoods that destroyed businesses where people work, some probably as a means to support their family, and they're going to have to deal with that. Uh, but I made it clear uh, this afternoon in some discussions that I have, the goal moving forward 
He said, we cannot ever repeat. I didn't say we wouldn't. I said, we cannot ever repeat of what happened last night. Uh, some additional forces have been mobilized and put together. A plan is in place. A plan is fluid. <clears throat> involves a lot of my resources. I uh, made a call up of all of our personnel this morning to be on standby. Uh, they're actually mobilized. You cannot wait too long. As they found out in Ferguson, when the mayor put out the call to the governor, and those additional resources uh, never showed up or showed up late. In Baltimore, the call was never made. I have an obligation, folks, under the uh, state statutes. I also have an obligation under the, the oath that I took to preserve and protect life and property. All right, that's job one. And to the extent that um, I have that responsibility, I have to have resources and I have to make sure that the people that I put in harm's way, like I did last night, like I'll do when these situations arise, um, that they have the resources necessary to complete the mission. All right, what's the mission? Job one, preservation of life and property. It's a pretty clear mission. mission. Uh, so you apply your resources to do that, and you go back, you reassess, you know, hopefully a minimal amount of damage, minimal life or injury, I should say, to life. And, uh, you know, hopefully, so far it's been the case after last night, uh, other than the uh, officer use of force, you know, nobody else killed. But I think it's important to point out as well, because we tend to gloss over this stuff. We keep focusing on the police. We keep focusing on the police. And I've said publicly before, stop trying to fix the police, fix the ghetto. And I talked about those urban pathologies that have to be uh, addressed to shrink the size of the underclass. We had the growth of an underclass here in Milwaukee. We saw some of their behaviors on display last night. So you shrink the size of the underclass. How do you do that? You reduce poverty. You fix the schools. You put people back to work, meaningful work. You hold people accountable for effective parenting. And some of those lifestyle choices, uh, which sometimes means if they're going to go out and engage in certain behaviors that society says uh, we're not going to put up with, then there have to be sanctions. And that's where the criminal justice system comes in. That's where the prosecutor's office comes in. And uh, I look around, just about everybody in this room has heard me over the last five years, minimum, talking about the role of the criminal justice system, the prosecutor's office. The, uh, the sentencing practices in this uh, area in Milwaukee County. And I don't know, I guess people didn't think it played a big role, but we're seeing it now. And not just last night, but we're seeing it time and time again when some individual goes out and, and does something uh, heinous. We look and they have a long, lengthy criminal history that nobody applied any sanctions to, or any meaningful sanctions, let's put it that way. Uh, maybe some sanctions slap on the wrist as a sanction, but that's not meaningful. So as I look at the two individuals involved in the traffic stop last night, I have their criminal histories in front of me. We will provide their booking photos uh, later on. Fran will put that out. But as I look, the individual who lost his life, thirteen arrests, uh, some serious stuff. Recklessly endangering safety, the felony, first degree, felony, dismissed. I don't know why, I don't have the reason, but but somebody, it isn't going to be me. I guess if you all have an interest, you'll go back and start peeling back the layers to find out 
what happens. Sometimes this is no fault of the prosecutor. You know, if you can't get or she can't get, you, you know, the witnesses to cooperate, I understand that. But that tells the individual who was involved in it that not much is going to happen, and they tend to repeat the behavior. That's how human behavior works. You punish unwanted behavior, you'll see less of it. You do nothing about unwanted behavior, you're going to see a repeat and more of it. He's uh, got a bunch of drug uh, arrests here. Robbery, use of force, no prosecution. I don't know why. I'm not going to blast the prosecutor's office at this point. However, somebody ought to go back and look and see why. Uh, there, there has to be a reason. That's called accountability. If the DA says, hey, we, we tried, the victims bailed on us, I, I, I get that. But if this is one of these second chance, deferred, um, those are the sorts of things I think that are having a, a detrimental effect to uh, this community. The second guy, the guy who lived who's in custody now, possession of a dangerous weapon under 18, dismissed, some drug uh, dealing, two-year probation, interlock system, time served, 12 days. It's pretty light sanctions. Two counts of bail jumping. Two years probation, time served, 45 days. Another uh, possession of cocaine, probation violation. He's on probation. That means he's been given his chance. In one of these earlier arrests, he's been given his chance. Son, we're going to put you on probation. We're going to give you a chance. you got to walk the straight and narrow. He does not walk the straight and narrow. Gets arrested several times for probation violation. He gets time served 30 days, time served 45 days. It's, it's why we continue to see the behavior repeated. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Casper is made in America. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Clark. That's casper.com promo code Clark. Terms and conditions apply. casper.com slash Clark. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. So Milwaukee could be a case study on how ghettos form. Milwaukee could be a case study on how progressive liberal urban policy creates an underclass and that underclass starts to expand government dependent and when left neglected of course that creates the ingredients that I talked about that volatile mix that all it needs is a spark and that's what the anarchists move in to try to create they want to create that spark and they know Hatred of the police, yelling police brutality is a powerful motivating force to the underclass, the black underclass, the 
culturally dysfunctional black underclass. And Milwaukee has a big one. You know, the city of Milwaukee is the sixth poorest city of its size in the country. One out of every four people lives below poverty in the city of Milwaukee. The schools are among the worst in the nation. Milwaukee Public Schools, K-12 public school system, the largest school district in the entire state of Wisconsin. And in a recent Department of Public Instruction, that's the state agency that governs schools, in their last report card of all the school districts in Wisconsin, the city of Milwaukee's public school system, Milwaukee Public Schools, finished dead last and it's the only school district in the entire state of Wisconsin that received an F grade. The only one. 80,000 kids go to Milwaukee public school system. Mainly poor and black. Predominantly poor and black. You know, the irony there, we're back to separate but equal. The school system at one time uh, was, was desegregated, or at least they, they tried to. And now it's back to being predominantly black with a poor curriculum. Sure, with a lack of parental involvement and fairness to the teachers. But when you engage in failed policies like social promotion, moving these kids on from grade to grade, they cannot read and write at grade level. They cannot add, subtract, multiply, and divide at grade level. They cannot read... You, you, you put up, why would you pass a kid on to the next grade from the third to the fourth grade when he or she can't handle third grade? grade? That, that's, that's a school policy. Social promotion. It's killing these kids. This is all done in the name of progressive, well, we want them to feel good about themselves. It's stigmatizing to hold a kid back. I'll tell you what's stigmatizing. What's stigmatizing are the nearly 1,000 inmates I have in my county jail. Large, largest county jail in the state. The, they're functionally illiterate overall. The average reading level of the people in the county jail. Now we're talking about adults. We're not talking about a juvenile justice center here. We're talking about adults. The average reading level, 7th grade, 5th month. Adults. We pay $1.2 billion a year in the city of Milwaukee to fund the Milwaukee public school system. $1.2 billion. And this is what we get? A graduation rate of 59% for $1.2 billion? 70% of kids born in the city of Milwaukee, born out of wedlock, no engaged, productive father in their life? You've heard me say that dads matter. When fathers aren't around, to help shape the behavior of young boys, 
those young boys oftentimes, more often than not, grow up and develop into unmanageable misfits that the police then have to go out and deal with aggressively like the Milwaukee police officer had to do who shot and killed an armed career criminal with a stolen gun. And if you you think I'm going to sit by and let the mainstream, the liberal mainstream media and the Democrat Party and the progressives blame the police on this, you see why I'm on the mission that I'm on? And you see why I was so ecstatic after that news conference when finally all media nationally was focusing on the urban pathologies. They stayed away from the police use of force. I got them focused and talking and asking about the urban pathologies. The city of Milwaukee has been under Democrat rule for 60 years. And before that, you know who it was? It was under uh, socialist rule. The the politicians were socialists. Then the Democrats took over. 60 years of progressive, liberal, Democrat, urban policies destroyed the city of Milwaukee. And that tinderbox finally exploded. Last weekend. And all the police use of force was, was as an, it served as an igniter of an already volatile mix. You've heard me talk about this. This is how these things happen. This is why it'll happen again. And if you recall, after Baltimore, the riots in Baltimore, you had the same thing in Baltimore. Failing public schools, entrenched, inescapable poverty, generational poverty, kids born out of wedlock, Questionable lifestyle choices like gang and drug involvement. Failure to embrace education. People can't find meaningful work. On and on and on. And the same thing happened there over Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray didn't cause the city of Baltimore to burn. The city of Baltimore has been under that same failed, liberal, progressive, urban policy forever. So finally... We have a spotlight on that. And I said after Baltimore, on TV, go back and look it up. I said, this is coming to a city near you. That's what I renamed it. I talked about that on this program. I said, coming to a city near you, this could happen anywhere. And what I meant by that was any ghetto in the United States whose urban pathologies are left neglected in favor of maintaining a government-dependent welfare state, is going to erupt. And so it's going to happen again in a city near you. So that the media spent the entire week, and you know what the liberal media, CNN, they were forced to do it. They had to. They didn't want to. They had to. The New York Times and Washington Post tried to get around it. But, you know... You know and they know that progressive urban policy, failed progressive urban policy, destroys cities, creates ghettos, and destroys people, a population, the black community, black people exploited by the Democrats, by progressives for political power.
Milwaukee's my hometown. I grew up here. This is not the city that I grew up in. David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In the final segment, I think this is going to be a great capstone to what we talked about today. This is out of National Review, Ben Shapiro. And it's entitled, What Riots Are Good For? Pay Up or Else. The left has a long tradition of using riots to push redistributionist policies that don't work. This week saw the latest in a spate of riots in Democratic cities. Milwaukee burned. It burned not because of some grave racial injustice, but because a black police officer shot a black suspect armed with a stolen gun. That's the new normal. Ferguson burned because a white officer shot a black man who tried to take his gun away and then charged him. Baltimore burned because a group of officers, some of whom were black, didn't buckle a black suspect into a seat, and that suspect died in the black back of a police van. Circumstances no longer matter. However, neither does proof of systemic discrimination. No, the only thing that matters is the perception of racial discrimination, and that perception justifies violent racist actions. That's what happened in Milwaukee, which has, not coincidentally, seen a 70% spike in murder from 2014 to 2015. Rioters torched the gas station while shouting black power. Some tried to chase down white citizens, unfortunate enough to drive into the wrong area. A leftist white journalist fled the city after being targeted for his race. Another reporter was chased by men in a Chevy Suburban because he is white. Great racial unifier, President Obama, couldn't be reached for comments. He was busy golfing. The media, meanwhile, continued to mirror the stance of CNN's Mark Lamont Hill, who calls such riots uprisings and states that there is a need for resistance to oppression. And you can't circumscribe resistance and declares with no sense of irony that black Americans cannot be racists. Editorial comment. Blacks can be some of the biggest racists in the world. Back to the story. While in the, why in the world would the left sign off on riots that damage black businesses, raise crime rates in black communities, and destroy community relations with the police? Why would leftists pretend that looting a store for a flat screen television or grabbing the nearest set of hair extensions and running for the exits constitutes valid civil rights activity? Because the left has used riots as a tool for policy of policy for decades. Fred Siegel documented what he terms riot ideology in his book, The Future Once Happened Here. Such ideology took deep hold in the 1960s with prominent politicians such as Attorney General 
Nicholas Katzenbach, warning of riots in 30 to 40 cities if LBJ's favored legislation providing funding to inner-city communities wasn't rammed through Congress, Siegel wrote. As the immediate threat of riots subsided, liberals would argue that more money for cities was essential, if not to halt riots, then to contain the still-rising racial anger which expressed itself in rising rates of often violent crime. Political thugs such as future D.C. Mayor Marion Barry fully embraced this logic. He said of the violent activities of the Black Panthers, I think that everybody, I think that everything that anybody does is good. I'm serious. For instance, this is a quote from Marion Barry. I know for a fact that white people get scared of the Panthers. And they might look at somebody a little more moderate and say, well, let's give them a little money. Political cowards such as New York Mayor John Lindsay routinely caved to this kind of pressure. He said that welfare expansion would be a necessary precondition to stopping riots. Here's a quote from Lindsay. Our experience, said one of his aides, is that some good can come from confrontation politics. Riot politics hasn't been relegated to the threat of race riots. After the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, for example, the nation's largest trade union of public employees, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, it's AFSME is the acronym, blackmailed the city of Memphis with the threat of riots. The head of AFSCME called an assistant to Vice President Hubert Humphrey and informed him that violence would occur if Memphis didn't capitulate to AFSCME's union demands. Quote, I don't know what buttons to press, he said, but God damn it, Memphis is going to burn. You know, forgive me for that. Uh, I'm just reading from the quote here. I don't don't use the Lord's name in vain. The White House sent an emissary to Memphis and the, quickly, and the city quickly capitulated. The left still recognizes the value of a good, clean riot. German Lopez of Vox wrote on Monday, quote, riots are the culmination of serious distrust in the system and can lead to real substantial change. He's full of crap. You heard me talk, talk about what uh, leads to riots. Back to the story here. Lopez cited the example of the Baltimore DOJ's investigating the police department after the riots. The Federal Kerner Commission, which pushed reforms of local police departments after the riots of the 60s and the imposition of new policing standards in L.A. after the Rodney King riots in 1992. There's something stomach-churning about the logic here. Leftists have governed virtually every city in which major riots have taken place from Milwaukee, who's had no Republican mayor since 1908, to Baltimore, no Republican mayor since 1967, to Los Angeles, before the 1992 L.A. riots, no Republican mayor since 1961, to Detroit, where the mayor during the 1967 riots was a Democrat who had walked arm-in-arm with Martin Luther King Jr., Yet instead of governing properly, instead of making life better for citizens, politicians have worked hand-in-glove with agitators who riot, thereby placing outside pressure on politicians to take radical action. This inside-out game perverts politics itself. Instead of voters electing politicians who will enact their agenda, politicians become tools of violent mobs or worse instigators of those mobs for purposes of clubbing the voters into submission. While leftists may believe that riots have made life better for those living in their cities, there's little evidence of that. 
Ferguson isn't better off because of its riots. No business will invest there. The same is true in Baltimore. And Milwaukee won't see any uptick in living standard because rioters chose to bash in car windows while shouting about racial solidarity. But the left gets the images it wants, the images of constant crisis flashing across our television screen. Then leftist politicians offer us salvation in the form of payoffs. All we have to do to stop the violence is pay up. In essence, the left's agenda is exactly that of the infamous Milwaukee rioter who told the media, the rich people, they got all this money and they not like trying to give us none. Listen to that sentence structure. This guy went through the Milwaukee public school system. They shouldn't put up with this crap. We pay $14,000 a year to educate uh, kids in, or, or not educate kids in the Milwaukee public school system. And he can't even use the English language and put together a, a, a correct, um, uh, correctly structured sentence. Stuff makes me sick. And all the while, the white liberals and even the, you know, Others, whites, they're afraid to say anything when people talk like this. Oh, well, you know, that's you have to understand it's a different culture. No, it's cultural dysfunction, and I'm tired of it. This guy's an idiot. He, he talks like one, not just because of what he said. He can't even put a sentence together. Listen to this, a quote. The rich people, they got all this money, and they not like trying to give us none. That's embarrassing. Let me finish the story here. The left utilizes riders to achieve this redistribution. All it costs is the business of local black people, the safety of black residents, and the possibility of recovery in high crime back areas. I'm black areas, I'm sorry. Again, that was Ben Shapiro and a column in the National Review. That's all the time we have for today. Yeah, I'm... I'm <laughs> Exhausted, but ready to get back and fight the good fight for conservative values, mainstream values, the people of Milwaukee County, and for the United States of America. Follow me during the week on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C L A R K E, and at thepeoplesheriff.com. God bless you and enjoy your week. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.